This week, Barton McGuire is back to sing us two brand new songs about historical mysteries and talk about the stories behind them. Here we go. Welcome to Sci-Fi. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury. I have some beautiful music to share with you this week. The one and only Barton McGuire is back, formerly of Pink Moon, now of Heliotropic. He's changed the name of his project, but the, the basics of it remain the same. He's done this for us a couple times on the show where he brought in his songs about historical mysteries that definitely uh, overlap with science fiction uh, and plays us the songs and tells us about them. So we're doing it again today. Two brand new songs that you're going to hear, and I know you're going to love it. Andy actually hung out with us and got to enjoy the musical concert with me here in my apartment. So she'll be hanging out with us in this episode. I hope you all had a wonderful eclipse. That was quite a thing to experience. I live up here in Seattle. We had a 97% eclipse. And I didn't feel like I needed to go down to be in the path of totality. I felt like 97% was going to be really interesting and, and crazy dark enough that it would be worthwhile to not deal with the trouble of traveling because we'd have to go down to Oregon, which would be the closest place that it's happening. Uh, and I was actually really surprised that it was still pretty light outside at 97%. Uh, a bunch of friends came over. We all hung out on my roof and drank LaCroix and listened to Eclipse-flavored music on my Millennium Falcon Bluetooth speaker and had a really great time. But I was really surprised how uh, a 97% eclipse is not 97% dark outside. It's like 50% dark outside. It looks like a weird gray twilight, but in the middle of the day. It was very unsettling in a really interesting way that I really enjoyed. Uh, and of course, we all had our eclipse glasses and, and watched it all happen and had a really great time. The thing that stuck with me the most was how cold it got. That's something I didn't really expect. You know, it's, it's been really hot in Seattle. So I was up there, I, if I'm remembering correctly, in like a tank top and shorts and found myself getting really chilly throughout the time that we were up there. And then the sun started to come back and started to warm up again. It was really interesting. Such a cool experience. I think that in the future, I would definitely make the effort to be in the path of totality because friends of mine that saw it were pretty amazed by it. And uh, Johnny Unicorn went down to see the path of totality. And he said that he might go down to, uh, I believe the next eclipse is in Central America in a couple of years, the next uh, total eclipse. He was talking about making that journey. And I'm like, you know what, if I, if I no longer am undergoing Lyme disease treatment, then maybe I'll come with you because I, I did I did get a little bit of, of FOMO, fear of missing out after that one. But that's okay. Uh, I had a really magical day up on the roof with my friends and a uh, very memorable experience. I have an exciting announcement. This Thursday, August 31st at 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, Seattle time, my friend Jeff and I will be going live on YouTube to discuss Star Trek The Next Generation Season 6. We did it live on Facebook for Season 5, and since I've been streaming Mario Maker on YouTube, uh, I've got a lot more subscribers on there than I used to. I mean, Mario Maker streaming has been going amazingly well. And I'm really, really excited about it. And I was hoping to kind of share the love from my Mario audience with uh, with some podcasting and science fiction done live on YouTube. So I would love it for you to join us uh, for that discussion on Thursday, 7 p.m. on my YouTube page, 
which is youtube.com slash Jesse Mercury Sci-Fi. The great thing about going live is that there's so much interaction with people who are watching and chatting with us. So I highly encourage you to jump on to chat and say hi, tell me who you are. Uh, tell me if you're a podcast listener and give us your opinion on Star Trek The Next Generation Season 6. There's something so wonderful and immediate about being able to talk with people live on the internet while I'm live streaming. So I, I, I have a feeling that I'm going to be shifting a little bit more into live streaming podcast episodes. I've got a bunch of really cool ideas, including a completely reworked version of Sci-Fi on Trial that is just designed for a live audience, uh, <laughs> live on the internet, of course, while we're here in my apartment. So yeah, I'm going to see if I can make that happen. That's something that we uh, may be doing in the very near future. So definitely subscribe to me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Jesse Mercury Sci-Fi to see all the interesting things that will hopefully be happening in the near future. All right, let's get into the amazing performance that Barton provided for Andy and myself that I'm so excited to share with you. And we talk quite a bit about the historical mysteries surrounding these two songs that he's about to perform. So let's do it. Barton McGuire, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. It, it feels like I was here literally just yesterday. It does, it does feel like that, yeah. mostly because we actually recorded yesterday. <laughs> and yeah. then for the first time ever lost an entire podcast to the, to the computer. It ate it. It like literally just barfed and then the podcast was no more. This might be the beginning of when computers fight back. This exactly. is the first move. <laughs> the first strike. It's deleting, <laughs> deleting uh, our podcast. podcast. Yeah. So last night, uh, our friends Dan and Emily were here to listen to Barton play music, and it was really fun, but uh, that recording is lost. And today, Andy is here to listen to Barton play yes, music with me. Yay. me. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So from the viewer's perspective, if you look at Barton, <laughs> he's got a ukulele in his hands plugged into... A pedal, a pedal board full of nonsense, like a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> he's got a little MIDI controller keyboard at his feet, and then he's playing through an amplifier to get the noise. So that's what you see if you were to walk into a club and Barton were standing on stage right now. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then Barton would start playing music, and it would sound like this. alone in a dark empty space in a room on the floor 
An ambiguous form Through the pinhole of light From the hole in the door Every inch of the earth Every season that turns Held in a span you spoke oh how the stars took on such strange new shapes and like a child I stared above wordlessly parsing an unfamiliar face but there's an ocean of time from your world to mine and if I called back to you hear your reply through the great cosmic wild how the vacuous smiles it's a void that suggests only silence and death but I don't feel Darkness, dust, and eyes, your pallor glow. Shining where Sagittarius hovers, and I don't feel alone. Because I can hear you. Six EQUJ5. Your simple song That you sang in a key to discover You sang it for us And for all of the others Better than yesterday. I, I felt I was, I was playing it. I was like, you know what? It's all right that we lost yesterday. Yeah, this is sounding good. You sound great right now. That Thank you. So yeah, stunning. It was really oh. awesome. So we're gonna do like basically VH1 storytellers, oh and Barton's God. gonna play music for us and then explain I'm what so it is. Excited to hear the explanation. I have like this. I had a whole visual story going on. In my Ooh, head. what what, what did you think was happening? Tell us okay. what you think it was about after first listen. I saw something. I saw like a love story between two people. The first person lives like on a moor. And there's like gossamer robes and like wild ponies and like 
I don't know, mead. And like, you know, it's just like in this sort of uh, renaissance time. And then the other person lives in like outer space or something. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're in love. And I don't know, I was just seeing them communicating through like sunsets and like Whoa. shooting stars and stuff. I, it was weird, but it's, fucking awesome. it was really beautiful. It was so beautiful. It was Thank like, you. Awesome, I think you're, you're totally evocative. tapping into to the content that is it is the closest thing in this collection of songs um that i've been that i've been working on to a love story um but to me it is a love song uh to a a star or more specifically a globular cluster of stars Ah. um called m55 also known as the summer rose star Hmm. uh which is near the constellation sagittarius is the rough source of this transmission that was received in 1977 that's now called the wow signal and despite the fact that no one can prove where it came from and it hasn't been able to be found again um it is still the leading candidate for anything that humans have ever recorded for some sort of interaction with another intelligent life form elsewhere in the universe Hmm. Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, it's not like it's far from confirmed. It's very speculative. Uh, but, uh, you know, people have looked into all sorts of theories as far as like what else could have caused this signal. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, on, on this night in the, in the seven, in 77, uh, in the big, at the big ear telescope in Ohio, uh, which was being used for the SETI project, which is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, they were essentially scanning the skies for specific types of signals or radiation that we would have reason to believe would be characteristic of communication from other forms of intelligent life. Hmm. Um, and normally, you know, they're just sort of hearing radio silence and it's crickets. Uh, but then one night prints out this really strong, very distinct signal for a few minutes. Uh, and the guy who saw it circled it and wrote, wow, on the little <laughs> scroll that scripts out. And that's why it's called the wow signal. Uh-huh. Anyway, people have, people have come up with theories of it could be some sort of terrestrial source or some sort of interference with the telescope, but none of those seem to pan out or make any sense. So no one to this day, no one fully understands what happened there. Uh, but to me... Uh, it's a story and and a song of hope. Hmm. And I hope that there is something out there, regardless of what the source of the wow signal was, but I feel like we can I can project my own belief or desires to believe in something else, someone else out there through this funny little event that happened. <sighs> you know, yeah. 40 years ago. Absolutely. So do you feel like, because uh, we've talked about how you're not really a religious person on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, do, the way that you talked about that almost sounded like how some religious people would feel about God. Like there's something else out there, some other intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, do you think you get like a similar feeling from the idea of aliens? Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, I think it's very comparable. Like this whole idea where I just, you know, I think there might be something more than myself or more than life as I know it. And specifically the idea of intelligence 
from the sky. I mean, there's all these parallels that could be made to yeah. uh, sort of conventional theistic notions. Um, so I, I don't know that I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, if it is a religion for me, I think that would be a bit of a stretch, but through the way I feel about wondering about the cosmos and wondering the contents, the deep contents of it, I feel like I can relate to religious feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the song, when you say, like, I feel less alone or whatever the, the yeah, lyric I, is. I don't feel alone. I don't feel alone. Yeah. That's, is that you as a character in the song or is that you as a person like looking out in the stars and thinking the wow signal means that I'm not alone? When I wrote the song, I, at first I mm, was imagining taking on the perspective of the fellow in the observatory who received the signal. Mm, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, as you can hear on, on previous Jesse Mercury sci-fi podcasts, I sing other songs. I like doing that, right? I have a song about the disappearance of Amelia Earhart where I take on her perspective. And I have a song, yeah. I have different songs where I take on these sort of uh, historical perspectives. But as I wrote that song, I eventually realized like, I'm not writing this from some character's perspective. Mm-hmm. Like this is actually me. This mm-hmm. is, yeah. I'm, I'm just writing this for me and how I feel about it. It feels like it shifts uh, at the end of the song to be a little more personal, uh, which is cool. I like that. It's a neat effect. Yeah. A lot of these other um, songs that I've written, including the one that I'll play in a little bit, uh, I sort of recount a story um, yeah. and retell this this thing that happened. Whereas for the wow signal, I, I wanted to wanted to break out of it. I felt like it wouldn't quite do a justice to just explain what happened Mm -hmm. because what actually happened is very simple yeah and and just totally unknown like there's not actually that much to it Mm. um that we we understand we just got a burst of radio waves from space right yeah it's just some some random burst of radiation and so rather than like retell that story to try to tap into how i feel about it and how i think a lot of people feel feel about that that event and since then i mean the wow signal and other discoveries that astronomers uh and um yeah i guess philosophers uh are making all the time in terms of various contents of the cosmos inspire us and remind us of these feelings yeah yeah we talked a little bit last night like something i didn't know about the wow signal was that it wasn't recorded it's not an audio recording it's a mm. it's a printout like you said where he just wrote wow on it uh, i uh, wish so we don't I know wish it was recorded like if someone had heard it we might have known what it was like maybe it was an alien going hello yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just some dude going hello yeah. and that's all it was <laughs> uh, but totally. we'll never know it's crazy i know we will never know yeah it's just it's actually letters um that print out like every few seconds they print out we're printing out a character, um, uh, and uh, yeah, so it's just a stream of just like numerical and alphabetical characters, and that's all that remains of the Wow signal. So it's very difficult to decipher, and all that we really know is that there was this like very strong and distinct signal coming from this source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we talk, something else we talked about is that this happened in 1977. Yeah. And Carl Sagan wrote Contact, uh, and it came out 
in the early 80s, I believe. Yeah, I think the book was in the 80s and then the movie was uh, in, the 90s. in the 90s. Yeah, so we it makes a lot of sense to us that Contact may have been inspired by this wow signal because that's basically what happens in the movies. We get this signal from space and we don't know what it is and then it's this sort of sci-fi version of what it might be if we were to be contacted. <laughs> totally, uh, and I mean, at the time, in 77, Carl Sagan was a very active participant in the SETI project Yeah, that... Uh, that, the wow that, signal found the signal. that found the signal. So, yeah, because um, they were looking in the bands of, like the frequency bands of where they thought that aliens might communicate, and they yeah. found this burst. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it could be maybe like the collapse of a black hole or something that caused some yeah, crazy I mean, shit in but space. But that's, that's the thing is, it very well could be. It could be something like that that we don't know. Yeah. But, but you know, astronomers, they theorize or understand what you know a supernova would sound like mm. what mm. different sorts of expected bursts of radiation from stars or other celestial bodies that we understand sound like and this just doesn't fit the profile for any of those things mm. and yeah. that's why it's still such a mystery and so difficult to explain mm -hmm. yeah interesting yeah it's really cool to think that like we may have been contacted by aliens the year that Star Wars came out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe Star Wars was actually beamed to us from space right. in 1977. Maybe like George Lucas had a pact with some alien species and they just like transmitted special effects to him. You that know, I mean, just like, in yeah. purely just practical sense, that's probably what it is. It makes <laughs> yeah. the most sense. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. So, so tell us a little. Uh, so Andy's not familiar with your project. Yeah. Which has changed yeah. in title since the last time you were here. So yeah, tell us a little so, bit about it. Yeah, so my project's called Heliotropic, but it used to be called uh, Pink Moon. And the last couple times I was on the podcast, that's what it was called. And uh, yeah, for this set of songs that I've been um, working on for the past couple years, I'm focusing on events of historical mystery or ambiguity, mm. um, and specifically sort of subjects of paranormal or conspiratorial speculation. Hmm. Um, and I like, I like these sorts of events. So, I, so you know, on, previously on the podcast, I've performed songs about uh, the disappearance of Amelia Earhart, about the, um, about the famous image of the Solway Firth Spaceman, which is a, a family photo that because of the way the light plays off of it, uh, people have used, UFOologists have used for years to, quote-unquote, prove government conspiracies and the presence of aliens. Um, songs about supposed spiritual possession, all sorts of different true ev events that happened, but exactly what happened, uh, we don't all have a shared understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Different people understand these things in different ways. Sometimes we probably do know what happened, like in the case of the Solway Firth Spaceman, but... Uh, but there's just so many people that see different explanations in it. And sometimes we truly have no idea what really happened, like uh, in the disappearance of Amelia Earhart or mm -hmm. uh, the fate of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 or <laughs> the source of the wow signal. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, those events and the explanations that people conjure from their imagination are so wonderful and exciting and uh, I think just really show 
the true colors of the human imagination and our just deep, deep desire to grasp for understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Humans seem to reach out into any unknown space and fill it with with the imagination things, or fear or whatever, yeah, they, they, whatever they, they want to see and, and there. It's, and it's always a projection of, uh, I think often what we want to see, or sometimes it'll be uh, sort of the inverse and in what we, what we fear, what we don't want yeah, to see. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but really like, yeah, someone who, someone who wants to believe in aliens will look at the wow signal and they will just recognize in it real proof for these things that they mm -hmm. they want that mm -hmm. they want to believe yeah. yeah um but that said it's not but other people will look at it and, and find totally different things and not none until we can prove one way or the other and maybe we never will none of them are right but none right. of them are necessarily wrong yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah as with as with everything that's not yet proven mm -hmm. and there's so many things that aren't proven. I mean, we don't know what happens after you die. We don't know if there's a God. We don't know if uh, uh, aliens exist. We don't know if we're the only life form in the universe or not. Th these are like huge things that you think we would be able to figure out. Yeah, or... and that's, that's another reason why I love these stories because they are kind of... The wow signal is maybe less so, but some of these stories are kind of kitschy or they're they're like the... They most often get talked about by like, I don't know, like kooks wearing aluminum foil hats. Like, like we think, aliens. yeah, we we don't yeah. think about them as as taking them very necessarily very seriously all the time. Some of these events, um, and they're sort of these like fringe interests and these very like I don't know like nerdy things. Mm -hmm. And yet, to me, they do just represent. I don't know. I feel like I can understand human wonder. Uh, through these events as well as I can through anything. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, wonder and fear as well. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. If if you could have the answers to the un those unknowns, like, would you want to know? I mean, I yes, I think I would have yeah. to because I just like anyone, it's all just like grasping to know. Just like I want to know so bad that I will project my own ideas, and that at some point, my own projections in my head might even congeal into like a false notion of, of truth. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. That's yeah. how badly we all want to, to know many of these things. At the same time, I see where you're getting and I do love just like just like swimming in the limbo of it and swimming in the yeah. unknowingness. Yeah. 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 And maybe like what the power of knowing it or or what that might lead to could be also dangerous in a way or maybe um, not dangerous, but uh, it would like change things fundamentally. Yeah, it would just I mean, I guess or it would bring up more mysteries, which could also be something that would happen, you know? Yeah. That it just makes us realize how much we don't know about the thing we don't know about. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure like all those questions have answers that would surprise most people, if not everyone, you know? Totally. I mean, maybe not. Maybe, maybe if aliens exist out there, they're just named like Josh and Steve and they wear shorts and t-shirts and... <laughs> I mean, that would be weird, but that would still surprise me, I think. That, like, that would yeah. surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or may, uh, here's a better example. Maybe the, like, the greys, the classic 
alien uh-huh. that you see everywhere, like the Close Encounters of the Third Kind style alien that's referred to as the Greys. You see him in X-Files. There's a lot of reports of these things actually being spotted and men in black and all that sort of shit. Uh, what if like that's what we discover is like the Greys exist? And that's like the least surprising answer, I think, at this yeah. point. <laughs> it's, it's the least surprising answer. Well, it's the least surprising answer, but at the same time... Um, but it, everything it would, about them would be so alien and oh, it would it, be so much to discover and, and so many surprises. Well, in an emotional way, to find the greys would be less surprising because we are sort of like culturally prepared for it. Yeah. But to me, yeah. on, in a theoretical way, I think the greys, whatever's out there, and I do believe that while I can't prove it and I can't know, I think it's so likely that, you know, out there in space there are other intelligent beings are mm-hmm. other are other intelligent civilizations mm-hmm. um but the chance that they would just map on to the totally fictitious thing like the grays <laughs> that we made yeah. up that has yeah. nothing to do with them that's yeah. just out of our minds yeah then that would in some ways be the most surprising thing like it's uh-huh. yeah you know, totally like, no matter like they're ali- just vulcans yeah like <laughs> aliens are aliens are probably out there but it's almost impossible that they are anything like what we think they are. Oh, totally. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. all of our images are really the products of our own human and terrestrial experiences. Mm. And, yeah. I did want to ask you really quickly about a specific lyric, because it just stood out in my mind so strongly as an image, the um, the lyric about, like, a pinpoint of light coming through a hole in the door. Yeah, that's... um. Yeah, I'd, I, uh, trying to think of the lyric. It's so funny. I know them all so deeply. And then out of context, it's like, oh, how does totally. it go? That's, yeah. uh, um, referring to, yeah, not wanting to be, to feel like a child afraid in a dark, empty space. In a, in a room on the floor, an ambiguous form through the pinhole of light. From the hole in the door. Um, and that, to me, I guess it's just an analogy to how I, f- I feel we are. Like, to me, this this star, like, we are just sitting and waiting in this, in this space. Um, hmm. And that star there hmm. is just the suggestion and the, the light moving from it and the, you know... Uh, radiation coming from it is just this like subtle suggestion of something outside Um, as if we are just sort of like you know we're locked in a room and we can see through the keyhole in Mm. the door Mm -hmm. and we can see that there's right there's there's something moving outside Mm -hmm. but but what it is is it some something good is it someone that we love or that we could love or is it something malevolent um Maybe we'll just never know. Maybe it's something unremarkable. Hmm. Uh, it, it also reminds me of an image from Close Encounters when uh, the aliens are coming down and the kid is inside and you see the light kind of coming through the door and it shines through the keyhole. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I, I specifically, uh, not with any word or phrase, but in that part of the song, I like wanted to conjure some Spielberg. I wanted <laughs> yeah. to conjure some yeah. some Close Encounter or some yeah. E.T., uh, and like referring to even myself as feeling like a child a couple times in the song, yeah. because there is something not that wondering about the cosmos is childlike. I think it's it's 
in many ways mature and just human. I think mm-hmm. it applies to all of us, but it makes us all feel like children. Um, yeah. That sort of yeah. that sense of wonder. Yeah, yeah I love that. I, I like that makes so much sense because it does feel very cinematic. That that description, I could just like see the image of that. It was it, yeah, so cool. So thank you for yeah, that's great. That's really yeah, no, thank you cool. for for pulling that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so something that I am really into is how the subject matter of what you're singing about and the sound, the actual sound of the instrument, seem to go together so well. Uh, it's such a unique sound and it changes based off of which instrument you plug into it. Mm. But it's, I think I described it yesterday as a, a choir of a million wailing ghosts. I love that. Yeah. Like that <laughs> is a big compliment. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I really, I'm, I really am very pleased and proud of this sound. Mm. I really love the juxtaposition of, um, standing up on stage with a ukulele or an acoustic guitar and then projecting these these unexpected and otherworldly sounds. I think, it, for me, it feels right in a few levels, one of which is it relates to the themes of these songs. Like, we are just... We're just people, and we have this sort of understood concrete reality, and to me, somehow, the ukulele or the acoustic guitar represents that as something that's just, like, very known and familiar. Mm. Um and then to like from it, I can generate just something else. And like, where is that a is that something new that came from outside? Is that another voice? Is that somehow a projection or yeah. a distortion of the sound of the ukulele mm-hmm. or the instrument itself? Is perhaps ambiguous to to people listening. A lot of people will come up, up to me after I play and ask if I, if that's like pre-recorded material or if I'm playing a keyboard, like they see the key, this, you know, tiny little MIDI keyboard at my feet, which I'm only using really, I only step on one key and it's just, uh, it's essentially just an expression volume yeah. pedal. Um, that's pressure, pressure sensitive. sensitive. Yeah. yeah. So, so as it, you step on it, the harder you step, the, the, the more it lets oh. through this noise. Yeah, uh-huh. Exactly. So it gives me a really fine grain of control, but they'll wonder, am I, Oh, am I just like playing a synthesizer mm. with my yeah. feet? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I'm wearing sneakers. If I could play all those different chords <laughs> with just with one foot, uh, I, that would be, uh, I wish I could do that. Yeah. So um, basically you just have a signal chain open that, uh, that has the, the sound of the ukulele and then a second one that you can open and close with your foot. Yeah. So sort of on the journey of the acoustic instrument to the amp or to the speaker, there's two paths and one of them's open almost all the time, which is just the one that conveys the, the basic clean signal. There's a little bit of reverb on there, but otherwise it's just the sound of the instrument. And then what is there all the time and on and like the pedals are all on, um, but the sort of volume gate at the beginning of this path is almost always closed is this series of reverbs and pitch shifters and other um, tools for sort of coloring the sound. There's 11 then, pedals. Yeah, that as soon as I uh, open that door and let some sound into it, that sound's going to ring out. Hmm. So I could, so I often will sort of selectively. Um, as after I strum a chord, let the chords as it rings out into that echo chamber. Um, but I could also, I mean, I could let other sort of percussive sounds into it Whoa. too. Um, yeah, and so as I play a you know a little series, 
I can choose which notes to to emphasize and which notes are going to ring mm. out over time. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and because it is pressure sensitive, I can be very delicate and really just sort of give these background sounds or I can really lay into it. And so it allows me really at this point I feel I feel like it's like a total extension of the instrument. Like my my yeah. my right foot that's just playing this pressure pad is like just as connected and tied into all these chords I'm playing as the left hand fretting and the right hand strumming. Yeah. Yeah. You basically, I mean, for this project, you've built yourself an instrument and it's the instrument you use for this style of songwriting. It's really cool. I, it's, it's adds this, uh, interesting cohesion to the music and you're also working on these, you know, studio recorded versions, which mm -hmm. sound incredible and so different. And do you, I actually can't remember now. You don't actually use this setup. Do I do, you? but I, in general, for these recordings, although the one I'm working on now is probably going to be an exception, but uh, I like this idea that there can be these different versions and different sort of lives of these songs. So when I record, uh, I write all these songs to be performed. Um, and so I write them on the ukulele or on the guitar. Uh, and that's where they live the first m months of their song lives. Yeah. Uh, and only after they've matured and after they are complete, do I then like take them into to the studio, which is actually just my room. Right. And, uh, of course. And uh, and then I sort of indulge myself in experimenting with different arrangements. And mm -hmm. one tool for sort of making sure that I am engaged and actively creative is that I I don't record any ukulele or acoustic guitar. Like yeah. I. I take that sort of foundation away. Mm. So then I have to think of new new arrangements and I'll use synthesizers and a variety of other instruments. Um, but I do always use, even though I, I remove the dry signal, um, but I will use this sound of these sort oh, of ambient okay, swells. Cool. Mm. That yeah. is just sort of the backbone and creates yeah, the ambiance. Nice. So mm. cool. they're always there. Mm. Yeah. That's so cool. And you also, I mean, you're you're the most technologically literate synth person that I know where like you've built your own synthesizers. I mean, you designed this system and it sounds unique and yeah, you, I mean, I mean, you like build stuff also and you, you have modular synthesizers that you use in your recordings. So even the synthesizers are also an expression of, of your sense of timbre. So it, it translates in a really cool way. If you, if you're cool, I'll, I'll put uh solely first spaceman at the end of the episode if you want sure yeah I'd the, love that. the studio recording yeah that's my most recent yeah uh, finished recording yeah. and you played that on the show on the show like a year or two ago or something the very first time yeah. like this was a brand new project and that yeah. was the second song that i'd written for the collection and the yeah. studio recording uh came out so cool i just call it that because it's you know it's not in a studio, but it's like no, that style. No, no, it style. is a studio recording. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, I, I say the same thing about my stuff, even though I live, I do it all in my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the studio recording has this like really unexpected sort of groove to it that I did not even imagine happening with that song. Uh, so yeah, I definitely want to share it on this episode because it's, I'll, I'll put it at the end because it's such a cool song and it's really cool. cool to hear that transition from the original podcast to to now where it's this like fully realized thing yeah yeah cool that'd be awesome yeah the first time you were here and you played me the songs uh i just loved the recordings um 
like I pulled out the recordings of the songs to send them to you. And one day I was like going on a jog and I put them on my phone and was listening to them while I was running. I was like, these are beautiful songs. And I don't think that Barton should do anything to them. I think they're perfect, like just with uh, the setup that he's got and he should just leave it. And you've proven, you've proven me wrong over and over again with your, <laughs> with your studio recordings. Cause they're all so cool. You've done three tracks now. I've done three and I'm working on a fourth. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's eight songs in the collection right now. Um, yeah. So there, it takes me a long time. I work very slowly. Yeah. And a lot of times I feel exactly the way that you felt on that jog. And part of me, like, I do feel like this version that I perform just by myself um, live, if there is a true version of each song, it is that. Yeah. Like, it does come down. And, and that's, I guess, why I said before, like... In the past, I've always, when I was writing songs, sort of started in the studio and just like as I wrote the song, added all these different layers. And then to find a way to perform it live would be this subtractive process <laughs> and a painful yeah. subtractive process as totally. I felt like I was really compromising the integrity of the song. How could I play the song without this synth line or without this electric guitar part or without having 10 arms? Mm. Um, <laughs> and now, these songs are so founded and they are to me like fully complete the way that I play them alone. Mm. And, and having these studio versions is just, that's like an alternate take or mm. something. It's like an alternate interpretation mm. and, but it's this very additive process. And so it's not painful. It's, it's fun. I mean, for me, I guess it's just fun. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. You want to play another song? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so w with your songs, is it better to know about the story first or is it better to listen to the song first? God, I struggle <laughs> with that so much. I, it's so because uh, and ultimately, I guess I would just have it if if I could have any individual's attention and if they'd be generous enough to to lend it to me uh, for a little while, I guess I would love to have it both ways where like you yeah. hear the song and then uh we talk about it and then later that day or week or month, you can listen to it again mm. with that understanding. Yeah. Um, because I never know though, when I perform live that I, there are all these little, these little references and connections that if you know what the song's about, it can be, it can be, I think really, uh, interesting and special to be able to understand some of those subtleties mm -hmm. but at the same time for me to just like sort of lay it out for you and then lay it out for you again musically mm. it feels a little yeah. odd so sometimes i try to usually when i play i pick some songs to explain and others not to so this one maybe i'll give wow signal there i played you know it's a cold open and then we talked about <laughs> it. so this song yeah. i'll say just a few things about and then i'll play it and then we can talk about it more uh, but this song is called uh, the Dyatlov Pass incident, and it's about the Dyatlov Pass incident, which is this, uh, which is this event that happened in the, I guess it was in the mid twentieth century, um, in Russia. Uh, this group of hikers and skiers set out for this uh, expedition in the winter, and they didn't return. And a search party was sent out a month later, and eventually found them, uh, but the state that they found them in, and they were sadly all all dead and the state that they were found in is just um it defies conventional explanation mm. uh, and has fueled w wonder and conspiracy and myth mm. cool i'm assuming we'll get some details in the song yep we'll get some details and we'll we'll hash it out nice okay
And I just want to point out that you've switched to acoustic guitar for this song. Uh, oh yeah, if it sounds a little bit different. Yep. I'm always I'm always thinking about the people who can't see what's it's happening. It's smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I, yeah, I'm not used to uh, to thinking about that as yeah. a live performer. So yeah, good call. All yeah. right, here we it's go. It's only live for two. Yeah, <laughs> one three. more time. Three Miles is here. <laughs> He's not paying attention though. Mountainside, nine friends ran in terror, half naked through the night, and I believe they would want to have told us exactly what they'd seen. But without a tongue, you cannot speak. Oh, oh.
Yeah. Thanks, guys. So last night when when we were doing this, <laughs> this is the point at which the computer died. So we didn't get to talk about this song at all. Yeah, yet. so this is all fresh. So I've been oh. dying since last night to uh, basically confirm with you that that song is indeed about the abominable snowman. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, of the many theories of what happened at the Atlov Pass among cryptozoologists, that is a big sort of story of evidence for support of the myth of the yeti or the abominable snowman. what yeah. so that is i do sort of nod to that that myth yeah uh, do so oh. abominably yeah i sort of name check him i name check him there yeah i love that I, yeah. yeah uh but yeah but then i sort of i i don't know but then to me this idea of this poor beast who just l- lives in shrouded in mystery Hmm. like to me that existence Hmm. of the yeti is one that's obviously very frightening but also um pitiful and Hmm. sad Hmm. (laughs) and also just what happened to to these nine travelers tell us more about that what what happened to these travelers yeah so uh, a search team was sent out this happened in in russia and there was a like a government search team that the report that they gave was that uh, the, the tent was found and the tent uh, had been torn open from the inside during the night and all of the occupants fled. Um, uh, and they didn't, despite the fact that they were in the midst of sub-zero temperatures, they did not take the time to clothe themselves at all. They ran out of their tent, some of them barefoot, many of them just without shirts like without clothing on into Mm. sub-zero temperatures and fled about a kilometer into the nearby woods where they were all found some of them having succumbed to hypothermia and having frozen to death but others with who could have um, died of the same causes but were found with traumatic injuries that uh, are kind of shocking and a little gruesome but i guess i'll detail some of them uh (laughs) Uh, a few of them had these these blunt force injuries to their head that people who know these things suggest that a human could not have delivered. Hmm. Um, and an, one of the women was found uh, missing her tongue. Which is in the beginning of your song. Without a tongue, you can't, can't speak. speak. Yeah. That's yeah. another thing that this this song is about. It's just sort of the ultimate... There's all these things that obscure us from understanding these mysteries, um, but the ultimate sort of veil is death. And these nine people, they know what happened. Like something specific right. happened, and there were mm. nine people who knew what it was. And they can't tell us. But they can't tell us, and we will. We like, can't it's like know. no one heard the wow signal. It's just over. You can't yeah. go back and hear it. Yeah. Um, we should just make a time machine and just travel to the middle of that scene just to see what was happening and then leave. Yeah, God. the uh, the craziest like incidental about this story um, is that uh, the mountain that all this occurred on was named. I'm not going to get the pronunciation right, but to my like to read it phonetically, it looks like something like Kalatsyakal, which in the local tongue means dead mountain, <laughs> and that's like its ancient Whoa. name. Uh, Whoa, and that. That's just, it's like too perfect. Like you can't oh, make yeah. that stuff up. Oh, um, is this an area where there are re- like reports of Yeti sightings? Yeah. Um, yes. 
Hmm. Are there large bears or anything else that could be an explanation? So there's a few explanations. Uh, a bear, bears are one of them, but bears, they don't. Ne- it doesn't necessarily explain why they would run from their tent and tear. Well, I guess if they felt like a bear was attacking them, it's really difficult to know. That's one of the weirdest things about all of this. It isn't necessarily that they all died, but that these experienced hikers, yeah, um, who would understand the lethal ramification, the potentially lethal ramifications of like going out into the elements unclothed, did so. Yeah. Um, so yeah. whatever they saw must have been uh, really alarming. There's one theory that um, this is a consp- it's like totally a like a government like conspiracy theory. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, whereas those are normally kind of far fetched, this is like the most reasonable explanation that I've heard to hmm. date, which <laughs> is that, um, at the time the Russian government was testing these sort of remote detonation bombs that would like come down and would explode meters above the ground. Hmm. Um, and that they, then it is I think confirmed that roughly in this area, roughly at that time, tests of some of those weapons were conducted. So some people think that these hikers found they, the suddenly the sky was exploding, um, and they and, ran in terror. And they ran to the woods, and but some of what them. What about the tongue, though? Yeah, that the, maybe of an the animal that came later on. Oh, oh um, ate the tongue out of her mouth? Like was she? I'm sorry, maybe this. Is the, or maybe maybe she bit her tongue off and running out it. It's very gruesome. But at the same time, I mean, the, the Russian government has denied this. It was their search team to document, to like find this, this party and to document it. So some people think that they could have covered it up and could be yeah. fabricating some aspects or sort of reconstructing the scene. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily prescribe to, to any of the things I just said. Uh, I, I claim to simply not know what happened, but yeah. but I do think it's pretty wild when that sort of like uh, that sort of government conspiracy suddenly compared to all the other options sounds like oh, it sounds oh. actually kind of yeah, reasonable. Totally. Yeah, right. just a government cover up. Yeah, uh, and in that case, it would be in the best interests of the Russian government to allow people to think it was the Yeti. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What's do you know anything about the history of Yeti sightings in the area or what what sort of lore surrounds it? I I. Don't not in any specific way. Like I did a little bit of Yeti research for this song, and yeah. I learned that it is—it's a myth that uh, has roots in different cultures and just like goes mm-hmm. goes way way back. And now what we think of as Yeti is uh, is sort of a combination of different sort of mm. stories of different lore um, that have that have sort of melded together. Mm. But it's definitely one that is still very sort of present and alive uh in the in parts of the world hmm. that's yeah. fascinating yeah well dude this has been incredible i love when we do this yeah it's always so too. fun for me and actually uh andy and i have a special treat coming our way because barton needs to rehearse for a show he's playing tonight <gasps> and it's his birthday that's right it's his birthday it's barton's birthday today Yay! happy birthday thanks guys i wouldn't uh there's nowhere I'd rather spend it than playing music and talking with you guys. Oh, yeah, it's so man. great. So yeah, we're Me actually you're playing at a, a house party tonight, and we're all mm-hmm. going to go and 
so yesterday you asked if you could run your set here, and I'm like, absolutely. Can I record it and release it as a premium podcast? And you're like, absolutely. So anyone who's a Patreon supporter will have the special treat that Barton's about to perform for Which us. Which I am, so I can go back and listen. Yeah. <laughs> and it will be it will be available on Bandcamp for a dollar, and Barton and I have already talked about we're going to split all, right. all proceeds. Yeah. Awesome. So if you want, if you're not a premium subscriber, but you want to hear Barton's performance that's about to happen it'll be a dollar on Bandcamp, and then half that will support the show and half of that will support little miss barton here <laughs> yeah well, otherwise you. it is on patreon for my patreon subscribers or it will be anyway well barton mcguire thank you so much for yeah. joining us it, it is my pleasure yeah thanks for uh, chatting with me and thanks for listening thanks everyone for listening Right after we finished recording this podcast, Barton performed five more songs for us. Songs we've heard in the past on this podcast, but brand new performances, and it was wonderful. There are two ways for you to listen to that bonus episode while supporting this show. Uh, one is through Patreon. You can subscribe to my premium podcast and find all sorts of other reward levels and goodies on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash sci-fi project. Or you can download the episode for $1 on Bandcamp at jessemercury.bandcamp.com links are in the show notes be sure to check out my website at jessemercury.com to learn more about this podcast and check out the rest of my sci-fi project including my sci-fi synth pop album and music videos all at jessemercury.com you can write to me at sci-fi at jessemercury.com to share your thoughts on the podcast and it would be much appreciated if you could leave us a positive rating and review on itunes or the podcast platform of your choice to wrap things up this week, we're going to listen to Barton's recording, studio recording, of the Solway Firth Spaceman. Until next time, stay nerdy out there.
was a soldier and a fireman, but to me he was a father. Brought our image to the Cumberland newspaper, and they took what he Dear mother, in an old.